girl does not get anywhere by acting intelligent. I mean, take a look at you and me. You chose books. I chose looks. Gaston, may I have my book, please? How can you read this? There's no pictures. Well, some people use their imagination. I checked this out weeks ago. Forbidden light reading. This is light. Nothing, nothing smells like that. I'm sorry, excuse me, did I just see you smell that book? Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of What I'm Reading with Cara Reedy. I'm Cara Reedy, your host, in case that wasn't obvious, and I'm super grateful and excited that you're here. First of all, before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say thank you for all the love on my very first episode. Um, I'm having so much fun with this podcast already. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed that first episode on Carrie Soda was back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So much fun talking to everyone about their thoughts and whether they liked the book or not, whether they um, kind of had the same perspective as me or a different perspective. So I was living for it. Thank you so much. Um, Today I'm equal parts excited and intimidated because I'm going to be discussing A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. I'm excited because I do have a lot to say on this novel. I mean, I think it's kind of hard not to have a lot to say on this novel because it's like 700 and like I think 30 something pages or something. It's a long ass book. Um, but I'm also intimidated because it's so complex. It's There's so much to unpack. There's so much to this story, um, not even just in terms of like themes, but characters and I guess the journey that you're taken on throughout the story. I feel like amongst readers and book lovers, there is this lore around a little life, like almost a notoriety or an infamy in a way, because it is known for being so heavy and unique and, you know, for lack of a better word, like quite depressing, honestly. Uh, the story is is kind of all-consuming as a book. The story talks about a lot of really dark subjects, a lot of dark experiences, and although uh, it's not based on a true story or anything like that. It is probably the heaviest fictional book I've ever read in my whole life. And I think that even a lot of people who haven't read it, if you're into like, you know, the kind of book community, if you like reading, you know that this is the case. Like I've seen videos of people saying like, books I'll never read and a little life is in it. And they say, it's not that I don't think it's gonna be a good book. It's just that I don't think I can handle reading it. And I and I respect that fully. Like, honestly, I can't even tell you whether I could realistically have handled reading it um but i did i read it and that's why we're here (laughs) and i will say that this general understanding is pretty accurate um like i said if we want to put a really basic word in place for how the book can make you feel heavy is a good one to use there are times when not a lot of light gets in here into this story it's quite dark it's you know not it's not something that you can read and just put down and not think about and be done with and kind of have like a nice fun time Uh, I think that is quite intentional, though, and it is really impactful and it makes the impact that the author, Hanya Yanagihara, wanted it to have. And in my opinion, one of the marks of a great story, and this is just something that I personally kind of think about quite often once I've finished reading a book. One of the things that I kind of think signifies a really beautiful story is when it lingers around long after you've finished reading it. And A Little Life definitely did that for me. I finished reading it about a month ago now, and I think about it honestly probably daily. That's not to say that I think it's a perfect book or that I don't have anything that I didn't like about it or things that maybe I thought didn't need to be done in the way they were, because I will talk about some things I didn't like. But I do think overall that it shows that it's done what the author intended for it to do and that it had the impact that 
was wanted, really. I think I've, I've read quite a few interviews now, having read the book with Hanya Yanagahara, and she, it sounds like she set out to do something and she fucking did it. So we have to give props to her on that. It's won so many literary awards. Um, it was so highly acclaimed. I think that's also why so many people know of the book, even if they haven't read it and will never read it. So yeah, it's definitely... It's definitely lives up to its reputation, I will say that. So before we get into the episode, I do want and need to preface this episode by saying two things. The first is that it will contain spoilers for the book. I don't think there is any meaningful way to talk about this book without spoiling some or most of the main plot lines or the main mysteries that kind of unfold. Let me be very clear. This is not a mystery novel, but, you know, as the book unfolds, you learn more and more about certain characters and I will be talking in depth and touching on those plot lines. So if this is a book that you don't want any spoilers for, this is not the episode for you. With that being said, I'm not a fan of spoilers. I'm not a fan of spoilers, guys. I will say that. But For this specific book, I actually think there is a place for spoilers because spoilers can get you ready for what you're in for. So maybe if you're thinking of, I don't know if I should read this book or maybe I need to be prepared emotionally. I don't know when I want to be the right time in my life to read it. Maybe listening to this episode, this is not just so I can get another uh, listen, by the way. This is not to get my listener count up, but maybe listening to this episode could be a good way to kind of dip your toe into the a little life world and see if you're prepared or if you want to even read it. Maybe it's not something that you were interested in. The second thing that I need to say is that there has to be a trigger warning on this episode and on the book. So this book deals with so many, so many difficult topics rape, domestic violence, suicide, self-harm, loss of a child, so many things. I've tried just with that list to cover some of the main points specifically that I'll be talking about in this episode. This episode is not for you. If these things um, will confront you or be difficult for you to listen to, please take care of yourself. Um, think about whether this is something good for you to kind of consume because it is difficult. It does go into these topics quite deeply and I will kind of uh I don't I wouldn't say I go super in depth on the details of these specific triggers but um I will be talking about them and mentioning them throughout this episode so please do what is best for you I'm really excited to get into it so before I do I'm just going to read you a blurb from the book obviously to give you an understanding of maybe what it's about a refresher if you haven't read it for a while or if you haven't read it at all so this is from Goodreads this is the blurb that was on Goodreads When four classmates from a small Massachusetts college moved to New York to make their way, they're broke adrift and buoyed only by their friendship and ambition. There is kind, handsome Willem, an aspiring actor, JB, a quick-witted, sometimes cruel, Brooklyn-born painter seeking entry to the art world, Malcolm, a frustrated architect at a prominent firm, and withdrawn, brilliant, enigmatic Jude, who serves as their center of gravity. Over the decades, their relationships deepen and darken, tinged by addiction, success, and pride. Yet their greatest challenge, each comes to realize, is Jude himself. By midlife, a terrifyingly talented litigator, yet an increasingly broken man, his mind and body scarred by an unspeakable childhood and haunted by what he fears is a degree of trauma that he'll not only be unable to overcome, but that will define his life forever. So A Little Life is the second novel by Hanya Yanagihara. She's an American author, editor, journalist, honestly, all around bad bitch. I'm obsessed with 
this woman now that I've read about her. And her latest book actually just came out a few weeks ago. I believe it's called To Paradise. I actually, like the day after I finished A Little Life, I went into a bookstore to get like another book that I wanted to read. And I was looking for something a bit lighter because as we'll find out, like it's incredibly, incredibly heavy. I went into the bookstore to find something else to read. And I saw that this new book was out from her and I was like, oh, I want to read it so badly. I want to buy it, but I can't go straight from one Hanya Anagahara book to another. Like, I just don't think that's good for my mental health. So I didn't do that, but I will be reading that at some point, I'm sure. Um, I thought this was really interesting. She described the writing process for A Little Life as very intense and all-consuming for her. So in an interview with The Guardian, she said this, I'd had the characters in my head for a long time. I was writing every single night and all weekend, and it is not something I necessarily recommend. Though it was an exhilarating experience, it was also an alienating one. That process which I experienced is absorbing and dangerous. It is probably one I will never have again and one I never want again. Isn't that so interesting? Like, I really thought that was quite telling that like she had this just consuming uh, experience writing this book because I think that's how we see a lot of people describing their reading experience of this book and I think it makes sense that as the author that she would have been way more involved in this world than we ever would be as readers and actually I think I will be referencing a few quotes from this interview that she did with The Guardian um, she did it back in 2015 when A Little Life first came out um, so that article that interview with her was so insightful to me it was something that I loved reading I definitely recommend reading the article if you've read the book and you maybe want to understand the vision behind it a little bit better so I'll leave it in the show notes and I highly recommend okay let's get into the book the first thing I want to talk about and I think it kind of is I, I, I can't really see where else I'd start this episode friendship this book is centered around friendship. I love, 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 love books like this that kind of take this, uh, this element of platonic intimacy and just this lifelong commitment to friendships. I love books that are centered around that. Friendship has always been such a center point in my life. It's held so much meaning to me. I have so many close friends who I consider family. And I think that idea of lasting friendship, that is so deep and meaningful is something that I have realized to be much more rare, but also much more important as I've gotten older. Like I'm turning 30 next year and that's something that still holds absolutely true in my mind as something that just makes life what it is. It, it, it fulfills me that idea of friendship. So that kind of really filled my cup reading about the friendship between these four characters, JB, Willem, Jude, and Malcolm. And I also really loved that this book was centered around the relationships, whether they are platonic, romantic, or anything in between of men. Men were central in this book. And that is something that I don't think is super common to read about at the moment. Like I think about a lot of the books that I read, they're from the female perspective. And I love that. I mean, I'm a woman. I love reading about women's experiences but this is one of the first books I read where the undercurrent was just male relationships and I loved that so in that Guardian interview that I mentioned Hanya Yanagahara actually said this book is also meant to be a homage to a different kind of adulthood one that isn't often celebrated in fiction but which is adulthood nonetheless an adulthood in which there is a primacy of friendship the 20th century was all about romance but that is quite a recent idea friendship is perhaps a pure relationship, I think. I love that quote from her. Friendship is perhaps a pure relationship, I think. I don't know, like, I feel that way. 
I feel that way as well. Maybe it's because in this article, she also mentioned that she doesn't want to get married. She lives alone. She has no, she has no want or need to get into a romantic relationship. I don't know. Maybe I relate to that a bit too much. And that's why I'm like, yes, Hanya, speak the truth. But um, I just think that that perspective on the importance and on the meaning, like how sacred friendship like that is and how it is such a central point of life. That is something I definitely took from this book. I also loved reading about how these men in the book navigated their really deep feelings for each other over the years because it did span decades of life for these characters. I think by the end of the book, the characters are in their 50s and 60s and over that time they... This book kind of explores how they hurt, how they loved, how they felt joy and sadness and grief and shame and failure and success. Like every kind of spectrum of human emotion, I kind of feel in some capacity is explored in this book. And I think, like I said before, we do get women's perspective on these factors a lot, but we don't so often get a man's perspective. And I think that is why in parts it was really hard for me to relate and understand to the characters they're not typically masculine characters. Like I would say that this is quite a um, fluid idea of what like it's not a lot of these characters are not toxically masculine, right? Like they are more feminine in their approach to life, I would say, as men. Um, but I still think that there were times where I just truly really didn't quite, you know, have the perspective that they had and I that might come down to the gender difference there and I really liked that challenge that confrontation of raw emotion that I hadn't ever been led to think about before that glimpse into what deep and meaningful relationships are like for men who really lean on each other and who really uh, commit to each other in a way that I think Perhaps not all men are able to do, not all men are allowed to do, because obviously we do have a long way to go in terms of how we allow men to have their relationships in life. And I don't know, this was just a really beautiful exploration of that. So I also loved this quote in particular from the book, um, from Jude's perspective. There had been periods in his 20s where he would look at his friends and feel such a pure, deep contentment that he would wish the world around them would simply cease, that none of them would have to move on from that moment when everything was in equilibrium and his affection for them was perfect. But of course, that was never to be. A beat later and everything shifted and the moment quietly vanished. And I do think that that is, oh, that really quite hits me. That hits me somewhere in my heart it kind of brought me back to those moments in my own life and maybe more specifically in my late teens or early 20s where I felt like when I was with my friends and we we're doing something probably incredibly simple, right? Like maybe just like sitting outside on a summer's night or at dinner or something like that or like watching a movie where I felt like everything in that moment with those people I was with was so perfect and wonderful. And it's almost like those moments, that, that quote makes me think of those moments where you almost feel nostalgia for the fact you feel nostalgia already because you know this moment is going to end and you know that one day you look back and you'll be like oh wasn't that a great moment like that fleeting feeling of contentment where you feel like the world is just kind of working entirely for you and your happiness and peace and everything has kind of built up to this one beautiful moment with the people you love I I just kind of adored that quote for that feeling that it gave me and I really related to that quote in those ways Another element of the friendship kind of theme that I loved was that, like I said, this book did span 
decades and decades of time and we saw how friendship ebbs and flows over time how that's natural and how you know certain people will drift apart people will drift together friendships will deepen or they'll change and they won't be as good as they might have been previously because people change and what their, their needs and their wants change um, and I also liked that idea that there are some people that you might drift away from, but there are people that you will come back to again and again and again, whether that's because you've got history that you can't deny or just because you have that pull towards them. Like, I really relate to that. I have friends who just I just kind of know in my heart of hearts that like I will never not be friends with them. And that kind of invisible string is there pulling us together no matter where like life takes us. That's kind of how I felt about Jude and Willem specifically in this book. Like even in the book as JB and Jude and Malcolm kind of all, I guess, like fell to the wayside. Like there were quite a few times in the book where I almost forgot that Malcolm, for example, existed. Like we didn't hear from him. We didn't really get his perspective more than like a few times. He kind of faded into the background, but I always kind of knew you had this feeling that Jude and Willem were like end game. And that was really nice. That was really comforting. And I felt comforted from that in the same way that I feel comforted from those friendships in my life that are end game, that I think are everlasting. I think that is a real testament to Hanya's writing. I think that her ability to put that really sentimental feeling of friendship, of deep, lasting friendship between two characters without actually explicitly saying it, that's special. And that is something that I really took away from this book is that idea of this calming beauty of true lasting friendship, friendship that is deep and pure and that is consistent and you can count on. I loved this quote, just to end this little segment on how much I love friendship and the idea of friendship. I loved this quote from the book. Wasn't friendship its own miracle, the finding of another person who made the entire lonely world seem somehow less lonely? Isn't that beautiful? That's another quote that hit me hard. That's one that I was like, oh, put that in the memory bank because that one does something to my soul. Those people in your life who are just like their mere existence makes you feel less lonely. What a beautiful thing. Okay, now that we've gone over like the wholesomeness of friendship, let's jump right into trauma, guys. The idea of trauma in this book, let me tell you right now, this is what the trigger warnings come in. And this part of my uh, like podcast prep that I, my notes that I have written down, this is the longest part because this is the biggest theme of the book. I would say like, this is the central, central theme of the book. I think that's kind of undeniable. And I will say someone messaged me when I posted on my Instagram that I was reading this book. Someone messaged me and said, trauma porn. They just said trauma porn. That was the only thing they said, trauma porn. And I think this is the perfect description. This book was fascinating, but there was truly no relief from the heartbreak and devastation that it covered. And that was like woven into literally every facet of this story. Like even in its happier moments in this book, that the heaviness and the darkness was always kind of lingering, festering in the background. Hanya Yanagihara actually said that one of the things she wanted to do with the book, this is a quote, she said she wanted to create a protagonist who's never gotten better for him to begin healthy or appear so and to end sick, both the main character and the plot itself. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about how this book kind of 
begins, ends, and makes you feel in between. I don't know what does because the idea of the main character and the plot itself never being better, like never feeling okay, is bold. That's a bold thing, especially if we talk about our tendency to really want stories, whether it's in movies or books or TV shows or anything, this kind of want for stories to be escapes from real life to one degree, but also in most ways, we kind of do want some sort of um, resolution in a lot of ways. Like even me, I will say like, I tend to really enjoy books that have maybe open endings where like things aren't fully tied up or books where there isn't necessarily a good resolution where like things don't end up perfect in the end because that's just life isn't it like there that is just life like life isn't perfect and orderly all the time it is messy and I think this book is messy intentionally this whole book we spend kind of worrying that Jude's going to end his life and we see the characters worrying that he's going to end his life we see Willem and Harold and Julia and Every single character basically is working towards keeping Jude alive, helping him get better. And he doesn't. And that is unfortunately a really, a really realistic example of how you can't save everyone and you can't save every situation from what it sometimes inevitably is going to be. Um, so it's really hard. It's really confronting, but it is also really true. It's true to life in a lot of ways. So on the topic of it being trauma porny, if we're going to use that term, on one hand, I felt from time to time that perhaps it was using trauma for the sake of trauma itself. I want to say like maybe shock value. I don't want to say that like Hanya Yanagihara was like trying to shock people into like wanting the book because it was so crazy trauma obsessed. I just more mean like it it kind of felt like almost unnecessary at some times to have all these examples of intense, intense trauma, you know, like Jude was an orphan and then he was physically and emotionally abused in a monastery. And then he was molested and then sex trafficked. And then after his escape, he had to engage in sexual acts for money and then a victim of the foster care system and then abused again. And then after all of that, he was in an abusive relationship where he was assaulted, raped and almost killed. And then the love of his life dies just as he's getting happy. Did it need to be all that? That's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm, getting at at times I felt like really like really do we did we need to do this like I kind of I got it the last time I got it and I almost did feel like at times it made Jude kind of one-dimensional to me the book felt a lot and especially towards the end like the same ruminations from Jude which was repetitive and it was depressing and it was dreary and it was the same thoughts over and over I'm not good enough I should end my life things aren't going to get better I don't deserve anything good everyone's going to leave me like that kind of thing. And I felt it being repetitive and I felt myself, I guess I would say getting a little bit frustrated with that expected monologue from Jude. And that's what I mean when I say it kind of felt like he was almost one dimensional in the way that that was pretty much all we got from him most of the time, especially towards the end of the book was this perspective on how much He hated himself, for lack of a better way to describe it. But with that being said, I don't think repetitiveness is a bad thing if it's intentional. And I do think that it's intentional in this 
particular book. Trauma can really flatten a person and in that way it can make you less dimensional. It can make you feel less capable of having the multifaceted qualities of a human. So I do understand that showing how Jude ruminates on his self-hatred and trauma is realistic and how it takes away his power to be a functioning person who enjoys I shouldn't say functioning because he does function like that's kind of the point right is that he functions in his everyday life he works he hangs out with his friends he makes money and stuff like that but he isn't able to function internally in a way that allows him to enjoy life and to enjoy what he has because he is just so preoccupied with this intense PTSD that he has from all this abuse that he's undergone And then we also see that he goes from traumatic situation and abuse to another traumatic situation and abuse. And that kind of pattern manifests along his life in different ways. And I do think that the point of that is in maybe in some degree to show that people who do suffer deep trauma as children, they go on to have these patterns in their adult life where they find themselves as victims of other types of abuse and it kind of it reverberates to their entire life and that is a pattern that a lot of people struggle with because of these feelings of self-hatred and PTSD and self-worth so while I did just say that I felt like it was too much and I felt like it was unnecessary at times like I have equal parts feeling that and I'm equal parts feeling like I kind of get it I do get why it was relentless I do get it to a degree it's not meant to be comfortable this is what trauma does to people and I think when you're forced to look at it like that, when by reading a book, it's confronting and it's scary, for lack of a better word. And Hanya Yanagihara actually did say that her editor fought with her about taking out some parts of the book to give the reader a break from the heaviness. And this makes sense, right? Because if we think about the way the book is received, like even though it's critically acclaimed and it sold so many copies and there will be a lot of people picking it up to read it because they've heard all these crazy things about it, there would be, I'm sure, just as many people who won't pick it up because of it, although they think, like that's depressing I do not want to read it or maybe just the editor was worried about the reading experience not being that enjoyable for the reader themselves Hanya addressed this in the article that I mentioned she said I wanted there to be something too much about the violence in the book but I also wanted there to be an exaggeration of everything an exaggeration of love of empathy of pity of horror I wanted everything turned up a little too high I wanted it to feel a little bit vulgar in places or to be always walking that line between out and out sentimentality and the boundaries of good taste I wanted the reader to really press up against that as much as possible look once again this is why I found this uh, interview with her so fascinating because her explaining that really put into perspective that this was purposeful like I don't think she was going for shock value. I think she was going for you can't look away because you shouldn't look away almost. I respect Hanya Nagahara for not allowing the reader to look away. We so often just turn our heads from trauma and pain in everyday life. Like no matter what end of the scale it's on, whether it's on the smaller end of someone being in pain or the upper end of like PTSD and trauma, we turn our heads away from it. It's so easy for us to ignore our own pain and the pain of others, no matter how much We love the people who may be suffering because it's more comfortable for us to do in the moment. And we're confronted by the idea of talking about trauma and talking about suffering and how much it's hurting someone. And we see that in the way that every character at some point in this book 
looks away from Jude's self-hatred, self-harm, his, his want to end his life, really. Um, there's many passages in the book where characters in Jude's life, like Harold, Willem, Richard, they all kind of talk about how they're scared of him hurting himself, of killing himself. They know that he cuts himself. They know that he hurts himself intentionally, but they don't know how to address it. So they don't. There are specifically passages where Willem kind of mentions feeling cowardly or feeling guilty because he goes, he's like, I should bring it up. I should bring it up to him. I should ask him. And then he doesn't because he's he doesn't want to be confronted by the answer that Jude gives. And I think that this book shows that even when we do our best, to ignore the pain, pretend things are fine, or maybe even smooth them over on the outside so that we feel like we're doing something without actually, you know, doing something and actually addressing it. It shows that the pain and the suffering are still there and it still festers. And, you know, I don't necessarily think it's about painting right or wrong in terms of should Harold and Julia and Willem have done more to help Jude, because I think a lot of this book does show that complexity of trying to quote unquote save someone and how you really can't save someone from themselves. But I do think that it's it makes you think like, what would I do in that situation? Would I turn away? Like, why would someone turn away? Because you have, look, I at least had this visceral reaction where at times I really hated the way that Harold and Willem would like turn their faces from Jude and like just ignore things and gloss over them for the sake of comfort. But I also got it. I got it. I think it's so human in a way, in a flawed way, but it is human at the end of the day to do that. So on the topic of trauma, I actually really found this quote from the Guardian article with Hanya Yanagihara interesting as well. She, I think the, um, the journalist asked her whether she was particularly interested in, I guess, the theme of abuse, because like I said, this book is very, abuse is very central to this book. Um, and she said, basically, no, she doesn't have a specific interest in the theme of abuse, but this is what she did say. What I am interested in as a writer is the long-term effect abuse has particularly in men. I think women grow up almost prepared for it in a way. Boys still don't, and it happens to a great many of them. It takes away their sense of masculinity, and of course, they are not equipped or encouraged to talk about it. It causes terrible psychic harm. And I think this is an undeniable facet of masculinity, right? In our current day and age, like that this type of, I guess, trauma or any kind of pain, like men can't often can't talk about it they feel like they can't they feel like they're told not to they feel like they'll be thought of less than or maybe they're not fulfilling their role as a man if they do open up and they show their pain and they show that they're suffering and need help and I think specifically Jude's aversion to going to therapy in this way and his guilt and his shame over what happened to him and his inability to actually move on from his trauma it's just so deep within his character and it's so raw and he's never able to overcome it. He's never able to get the help he needs. He's never able to reach out and really ask people he trusts the most, like Andy, his doctor, Willem, his best friend, his very best friend in the whole world, his soulmate and his lover, Harold, his father who he idolizes. He's never able to actually open up to these people in any meaningful way that helps. And this whole kind of concept in the book is, 
specifically around child abuse and Jude's experience with child abuse and molestation as a kid. Um, It made me think about how here in Australia, we have had a royal commission into child sexual abuse within religious institutions. So this has kind of been unfolding over the past, I want to say like maybe 10 years even, as in like the, the commission has been, but that's because over decades and decades, um, here in Australia, and I'm sure all around the world, but I can only speak from my perspective as an Australian, we've been hearing about how specifically the Catholic Church did facilitate uh, abuse on young children, specifically young boys from people in power, such as priests. Obviously an incredibly heartbreaking topic, like I'm kind of actually feeling emotionally been thinking about it but it's something that's been on the periphery here in Australia as I've kind of gone through my 20s and we've heard these really awful stories about how men who are sexually abused and obviously not in every case but in a lot of cases they grow up and they have these lives that grow around the pain and the suffering and the trauma um, in a way that is trying to compensate for it because they can't talk about it in a lot of cases these men who have gone through these really traumatic experiences specifically as kids they kill themselves because they couldn't bear the weight of their trauma in a world that doesn't teach them how to work through it or in a world that doesn't care to ask the hard questions and that's institutionally and I think that's also socially and I think that is something that is such a reality for so many men on a sliding scale I think Jude's inability in this book to get better is realistic as much as deeply depressing and almost dissatisfying as a reader because we want him to get better because once again I think that's the comfortable thing I think that's the thing that we we feel best seeing we want to see whether it's someone in our life or if it's a character in a book or a movie or a tv show we want to see them get better because well, to put it simply, because we love them, but also because that, I guess, makes us less complicit and it makes us less uncomfortable. So, yeah, the fact that Jude takes his own life by the end, it makes sense to me. I will say I don't – I didn't like it. I mean, how could I say I liked a character taking their own life? I didn't like it, I, but I understood it and I respected it and I thought that it was almost the only natural way for it to end because I don't think it would have been realistic if Jude got to a point where he got better. I just don't think it would have been. I think given the story and given the complexity of his relationships and his life and his struggle with his own experiences, I think it would not have made any sense for Jude to live. And I think that was really beautifully kind of expressed because as the story went on, we did hear about how Jude was getting like exhausted right like he was feeling like the pain was never ending there was no end in sight and I don't think I would have I didn't like him killing himself but I also don't think I would have I think I would have liked less story-wise if he had just went on I don't know let me know what you guys think about that I by the end of the book I was reading it to get it over with because it was that dark and it was that I want I would honestly say it was that inevitable by the by the time that Willem and Malcolm and Malcolm's girlfriend died in that car accident I kind of knew I knew that Jude wouldn't make it through the grief and I kind of got the I I, I think I think we all kind of knew at that point like Willem being the only person who was making Jude happy he was going to end his life we just didn't know when I think knowing that I wanted the book to over with I wanted it done I read like I would say probably the last like 
I, I read from the moment from the chapter that Willem died to like the end of the book in like a few hours because I just simply needed it to be done. I needed the heaviness to be over. I needed to move on from feeling the weight of these emotions. And that was because I was uncomfortable because I knew what was happening and because it was another blow that was just too heavy. And I think that's a great way that Hanyayana Gahara made the reader feel what Jude was feeling in a way. Like if you think about the fact that Jude was saying he just needed it to be over. He needed, he was exhausting. He was exhausted. He, he couldn't bear living through the pain anymore. Obviously as a reader reading about the pain and actually experiencing this pain, that's not the same thing, but I do think that to a degree, this, uh, the heaviness of the book weighing on us and just wanting it to be over, wanting the pain to be over. And I think that was for the reader to feel similarly to what Jude was feeling. So to move on to another super light topic, let's talk about grief. I think one of the most moving and poignant parts of this book to me was the exploration of grief. We see it in a lot of different ways. In this book, we have the grief from Harold regarding him losing his young son who died years earlier. We have the grief from Willem about the loss of his younger brother. And even though they weren't close, the loss of his parents, obviously we have grief from Jude losing Willem and Malcolm, like I mentioned before, when they die in that car accident. Um, And this is the grief that ultimately makes him decide to end his life. We also have the grief of seeing Harold outlive Jude and how that was his worst fear. Even though Harold wasn't Jude's biological father, he he deeply, unconditionally loved him. And there was one passage in regards to this grief, and it was more towards the beginning, I would say, of the book. So, I don't know, maybe I was feeling a little bit more, like, lighter then, and this really got me. I really am quite a sucker for anything to do with children and, like, parent grief. Um, I can't really begin to unpack that, but there was one passage that kind of weaved into that storyline of Harold losing his young son. And it was when Harold was talking about how it felt for him to move through life, having lost his son and the impact that it had on him and his relationship with his ex-wife, the mother of that son. So this is the quote. It's a bit of a long one, but I, I do want to read it because I, I felt like this was such a beautifully worded exploration of grief from a parent perspective. Uh, In this passage, Harold is talking about a discussion he had with his ex-wife and the mother of his son who had passed away. She said that she understood exactly what I mean and that she too had students or had simply passed young men in the street whom she thought she recognized from somewhere only to realize later that she had imagined they might be our son alive and well and away from us no longer ours but walking freely through the world unaware that we might have been searching for him all this time. Sometimes I felt that there was something physical connecting us, a long rope that stretched between Boston and Portland. When she tugged on her end, I felt it on mine. Wherever she went, wherever I went, there it would be, that shining twined string that stretched and pulled but never broke, our every movement reminding us of what we would never have again. Oh, even reading that has just given me goosebumps. That idea that grief stays with you and that it never goes away. And that it is, you know, no matter how far you get from your partner or anyone who's involved in that grief, it's never going to disconnect you. You are always going to be tethered to your grief in some way. And how does one move on from grief? And how do you watch someone you love grieve knowing that you can't help? And not just from the grief of losing a parent or a sibling or a child or a lover, but also the grief of losing 
a childhood like Jude of losing a friend to addiction, like what happens with JB when he becomes an addict, losing someone to mental illness and PTSD and depression and anxiety and self-harm like these people who are there but they're not there like this is all grief in one way or another it's not just about physically like losing someone because they're no longer alive but maybe because they're no longer there in the way that they once were or in the way that you wish they were it was incredibly moving this whole exploration of grief and the longing that you often have towards the person who you know you will no longer ever have again. And I felt that specifically when Jude lost Willem and he was looking at that painting that JB did of Willem looking at Jude. And that idea that you could see someone and you could reach them and you can feel a moment that they were in and you could almost feel them so tangibly, that just kind of broke my heart, if I'm honest. Um, Here's the thing, guys. I feel feel this... (laughs) episode being really depressing i don't know what i thought it was going to be because look the book's depressing the episode's depressing that's the only thing that's really going to happen it's the natural way of things i will let's move on to like just to end it because i've only got one other section that i really want to talk about but i do want to talk about the complexity of the characters because i do think that there wasn't a single character in this book who i wholeheartedly loved or hated there were always shades of gray in between like i said i think i mentioned this also in carrie my review of carrie soto but um, I, I like that because that's life because there's not ever going to be one single person that you love every single part of ever in life. And if you think that you do, you're lying <laughs> um, because people are complex and people are, you know, hurtful sometimes and they have so many good and bad qualities. I was rooting for Jude so deeply in this book because we were privy to his inner monologue. And also to the perspective of people who loved him deeply and cared for him. You saw how much he was loved and you wanted him to, you wanted him to believe it. He wanted to like shake him from the book and be like, please just realize how much you're loved. And like these things that you're thinking are not true. Like people admire you. Um, Similarly, I kind of sometimes hated Willem for not seeing how hard Jude was trying and how it wasn't his fault that he couldn't open up. I also really found it really difficult when Willem and Jude got together to in, to actually like Willem. Um, I found that part specifically quite confronting because up until the point when Willem and Jude got together, I really probably pretty consistently liked Willem. For the most part, I thought that he was like a great friend to Jude and that he was just like a really nice character. I think I consistently enjoyed him the most. And then when him and Jude got together and we had all that storyline around how Jude never wanted to have sex because he was obviously so traumatized from his abuse as a child. Um, And Willem kind of, I don't know if pressuring is the right word, but pressuring or or willfully ignoring the fact that Jude didn't like it and also being aware of that like being aware of the fact that Jude wasn't enjoying sex but also being unable to really accept the fact that he might not be able to enjoy sex with him with Willem um so that kind of that specific part of the book where Willem was I don't want to say like I don't want to say abusing but you know kind of towing that line between almost disrespecting Jude's sexual boundaries to a degree because it suited him. That was hard for me. And I felt kind of similarly about Harold in a way. I Harold, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but Harold was probably my favorite character overall in the book. I don't know, I found his consistency 
And I found his character to be incredibly calming. And I think I liked that not only for me, but I liked it for Jude as, you know, for him to be that type of person for Jude, that calming presence, that consistent presence, that person who loves him unconditionally. I loved that part of the book where Jude was struggling after Willem's death and was not eating, not taking care of himself, really treating everyone awfully and how Harold and Julia just took care of him like he was a child. And that showed the most unconditional love that I I feel like I've ever read in a book. And like, it was a beautiful way of showing unconditional love between a parent and a child and how the child, even if that, that child's in their forties or fifties, they're still your child. And even in a scenario where that child is not your biological son, if you feel that deeply for someone, if they are your family in that way, if they are your child in that way, you love them unconditionally. That really made me think about my parents <laughs> and it made me really emotional about that um, because I mean, like I'm not a parent. I don't know if I'll ever be a parent undecided, but I think we can kind of all agree that that is something that we can, you can never really fathom until you are a parent. Like I would never begin to even think that I could relate to a parent's love for a child unless I had kids. Having that perspective from Harold was really beautiful to me. Okay, guys. So overall, <laughs> overall, um, I will say the complex feelings I have about this book fit the brief. I don't think I, I would be surprised if Hanya Yanagihara wanted the reader to simply love the book. I don't think it would be right for me to sit here and say I love the book I love this book it's so great it's an amazing book I love it I love it I love it I don't know that feels kind of reductive to just love this book I'm not trying to say that you can't love it but like you know to just not really have any complex feelings towards it but um I did love it but I also don't think I'll be reading it again anytime soon maybe when I'm older to see where my mindset has shifted because I do really love that this book follows the characters into their middle-aged kind of um, time in their life, their 50s and their 60s. Um, and maybe, you know, I'm 29 at the moment. I probably will be able to re relate to this book very differently in 10 years when I'm 39 and like entering my 40s than I can right now. Um, so that would be interesting. Will I be reading it like again ASAP? Absolutely not. Um, I fear the day that this is made into a super amazing TV show or movie. It actually might have already been, but I'm actively not looking that up because if I know about it, I want to watch it. I don't think I can handle that right now. Um, but I do think that I think on the one hand, it would make a great like TV series, like a mini series, kind of like normal people vibes. But with that being said, normal people also left me absolutely devastated, sobbing uncontrollably on my living room floor don't want that from a little life, the TV series. I don't know where I'm going with this rant. My basic, <laughs> my point right now is that I love this book. I don't like this book. I'm confronted by this book. I'm hurt by this book. I'm deeply enthralled by this book. I will not be reading this book. I would say for at least a decade, at least a decade. And I would actually go as far as to say that if you read this book, if you've read this book more than once within like a year, I hope you're going to therapy. I hope 
you're going to therapy. (laughs) Not to like leave this on like a critical note, you know what I mean? Anyway, thank you for listening, guys. Like I said at the beginning of this uh, episode, I didn't really have a super like structured approach to this episode because I just didn't feel like that was really fitting what the book calls for. I just, yeah, I mostly want to talk about the parts that really hit me the deepest, the parts that meant the most to me. Um, So yeah, I hope that you kind of got a lot from this or got something from this. Please let me know if you've read this book, what you think of it. My Instagram is at what I'm reading pod. And my personal Instagram, if you want to follow me there is Kara R. Reedy. So send me a message. Let me know. I love talking about books. That's not a secret. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you for being here, guys. I will be back with you probably in a couple of weeks. Hopefully with something a bit more lighthearted. Can't make any promises, though. Have a great day. Bye.